0: Hello and welcome to Film Festival Reviews, a place where independent filmmakers and film lovers stop by and listen in to what's happening on and in the independent film festival circuit. This is Christina Kotler, your host, and throughout this month I'm going to highlight some environmental events along with films and the film festivals that are going on because Earth Day is coming up on April 22nd, but with the way some things are going, every day should become Earth Day in my opinion. This Tuesday, April 17th, the Sundance Channel starts the wheels turning with The Green, a regularly scheduled destination wholly dedicated to the environment and I have a great conversation with Simran Sethi, one of the co-hosts of this Knockout program, and we'll get a chance to listen in shortly. Then on Wednesday, April 18th, an interesting film, The Unnamed Zone, is brought here by a Spanish filmmaking team, portrays the lives of three Ukrainian children and their families, affected by what is still regarded as the worst nuclear power accident ever in history. Twenty-one years ago, on April 26, 1986, human error caused the Chernobyl nuclear reactor to explode and spew radioactive fallout all over parts of western Ukraine, Belarus, and northern Europe and eastern North America. The film will be screened at 7.30pm, 717 Hamilton Hall, Columbia University, and the filmmakers will be on hand to answer questions. One of the film festivals that just ended was the 10th anniversary of the Full Frame Documentary Film Festival in Durham, North Carolina. They had a record-breaking attendance this year. It ended today, April 15th, and the final ticket number was something like 25,000 people with uh, additional viewers coming in last minute, so they had something like 26,800 people coming to their film festival this year. One of the panels that I thought was really interesting is the Reaching Out on Global Warming, and it explores the two approaches to community outreach on one of the most uh, pressing issues of our time right now, and what I've been seeing the last couple of days, is global climate change, and two of the films that have been around, Everything's Cool and An Inconvenient Truth, their case studies. Uh, the panel compared strategies as varied in national marketing promotions, grassroots, word of mouth efforts, and web viral campaigns, and with filmmakers and their outreach teams would find uh, innovative ways of getting their messages out to the widest audiences possible with the hopes of effecting change. We're going to hear that from uh, someone that I just spoke to yesterday at the Gen Art Film Festival. that was Rob Stewart and his amazing film Shark Water. This guy is hands-on and really going out there and making a change and we'll hear from Rob a little bit later in the show. The Philadelphia Film Festival has a huge program. It's still going on, and while I didn't get a chance to make it down this weekend the way I planned, I checked out the listing, and there's one that uh, was screened just before the Sundance Channel's kickoff party for *The Green*. It's called *A Crude Awakening*, and Like its title, the filmmakers send out a wake-up call, uh, that the writing is on the wall, and without oversimplifying, the film really demonstrates that the time is now to develop new forms of renewable energy. So with that, let's uh, listen in on my conversation with Simran Sethi on what we can expect from The Green. Enjoy the show. Uh, you're here now, and I am so excited about this new series that's going on called The Green coming up on April seventeenth
1: there's April
0: seventeenth on Sundance
1: Channel on yes. the Sundance
0: Channel. you know, I was at the Sundance Film Festival, and of course it's all about independent filmmaking and and to pick up something like this. so how did you get involved in this? because you're a journalist, and I was on the Tree Hugger site. Which I love. Okay. Somebody called me a tree hugger a few years ago, and they wanted to insult me. Right. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> and meanwhile, I said, "Thank you.
1: Yes, that's what I am." Yeah, and we've, we're trying to reclaim the name over at Tree Hugger as well. Just, to be to care about the environment is a really good thing, and it's smart, and it's sexy, and it's fun, and it's embraces the best parts of enjoying our life. So I think, you know, Sundance Channel, I got connected to Sundance Channel through my work at Treehugger. I was heading up the video and audio divisions for Treehugger and we were interested in seeing how we might be able to collaborate as the the green was sort of gestating. And um, through subsequent conversations, they asked if they could see my reel of work that I had done in broadcast television, which was working for MTV News, Oxygen, and hosting a show, a series, on sustainable business for PBS. So I had this background that lent itself to The Green. So once they saw The Reel, they asked me to to be the co-host along with Majora Carter. Of the broadcast material and then I, I also host the, the webisodes and I'm going to be in Second Life uh, discussing all the programming after each initial airing every week and in addition to that I've done story consulting and commentating on the original series within so so you have all the 13 programs um, the segments already set up the last ones are being completed now but what we have every block consists of short films documentaries full length documentaries as well as a 13 part original series which is called big ideas for a small planet and each week we cover a, a different overarching topic so the the original series kind of leads what that evening looks like for example and those are entitled uh, things like where create pray, uh, cities, so looking at all these different topics through the lens of environmental and social justice and seeing how we can live and act in a way that reduces the amount of strain that we put on natural resources and really looks at the bigger world around us that's sort of beyond our front door. This all sounds so wonderful. You have the philosophy together and everything, but
0: people hate change. Mm -hmm. And even you know, people that do want to change. They resist it. Right. Is this something that you're thinking about how to overcome this thing? Because I think your audience is like the independent film audience. Right. Do you think you're preaching to the choir or do you want to broaden the audience?
1: I think we're broadening the audience space. I think one of the things that yeah, I'm a journalist, as you said, and, and one of the things I strive to do in my life is provide the information that will inspire people to action. I'm not here to preach. I'm not here to you know to judge. I'm trying to figure it out, too, and and that's what I appreciate so much about the, this sort of evolving paradigm of environmentalism. I think what people once saw was a very strict orientation towards conservation that had very strong stereotypes, tree-huggering kind of stereotypes you know, associated with it, which was you have to sacrifice. You you, know, you have to pull yourself off the grid. You're not eating things that you enjoy. You're wearing things that don't look comfortable. You're not savoring your life. And I think very much what we try to do at Tree Hugger and at Sundance Channel is showcase the people that are celebrating their world, their natural world, their social world, their professional world through the work that they're doing. And the reason that we call the programming is big ideas for a small planet rather than the ultimate solutions for a small planet is because i think there are myriad ideas that are that are available to people and and what's so exciting is there are multiple points of entry so if food is your passion like it is for me then you know building sustainable food systems is something that's very important to me so i look to supporting local farmers and and frequenting farmers markets and and buying food that's seasonal and that's also organic and not grown with pesticides if you know if clothing is is the thing that that's really exciting to you then there're amazing things being done with textiles right now, creating fabrics out of seaweed and soy and organic silk and, you know, repurposed plastic. I mean, it's it's amazing. And these things are happening on an individual level with small scale designers and on a corporate level. You know, one of the, the things that you'll see in one of the segments is, is the work that Patagonia is doing. So I think what we're seeing here is this is happening across sectors and this is happening across topics. There are so many ways that people can embrace environmentalism in, in a way that I don't think was apparent to people before the other thing that I saw on the
0: website that you're including people to become more active and to start discussions and I downloaded that free episode because right. I like that idea and I sent it off to a friend mm-hmm. uh, so I'm following all the things there how do you think this is going to balance out with what's on regular TV I know with the tree hugger because it's all online
1: and everything but this is television sure, now. Sure. I mean, so News Channel has done, I think, an extraordinary job taking the first step and, and being the first major television network to offer, you know, a consolidated block of environmental programming. Now, what's so exciting about it, and I, I'm sure it, you, having frequented the film festival circuit, will will agree. It's, it's like the programming can't just be informational; it has to be entertaining and. The, the production value and the creativity that's gone into this programming is extraordinary. I hosted a show for PBS, like I've worked in this genre for some time, but the evolution of the storytelling is absolutely staggering to me. It's such compelling programming, like you really do, and I'm not just saying this is the host of the blog, like I watch it and, and something in me like swells up with excitement, you know, like I just, I'm completely inspired and I'm inspired by everyday people who are saying, huh. I, I think there's a better way to do this. And I think there's a way that's going to still be beautiful and still be aligned to my life and still be smart and still be fun. And, and that's what Sundance is doing. And I think that's what makes it compelling for television viewers as well because there are. There are many resources on the web, but, but making the, the leap from broadband to broadcast has been slow to happen in a way that's really compelling. We certainly see some outlets doing this right now, and of course I was part of one of the, the initial forays into that. But this programming is so very Sundance and so clever and interesting to watch. It's. Um, it's the environmental message is at the heart of it but it's also almost like wow i enjoyed that even though i was getting these messages that some people may find to be dreary i think the the delivery of the content is such that you really feel feel enriched by what you're seeing you're learning something and you're being entertained and you're being inspired to go out and do something and then that's the beauty of the, these, this multi-platform approach. Like there's a web extension where you can go and talk about this online, where you can join you know, me in Second Life and have even you know, deeper conversation and where you can actually figure out the tools that are required to you know, make changes in your own life
0: and i like the idea about the contest there so you're bringing in more of the filmmakers exactly. on board here so that's brilliant and how else are you finding these films i mean going around because when i go to film festivals those are that's one of the first things i look for right.
1: that's what you look for exactly because you a
0: tree hugger i'm a tree hugger yeah, exactly I'm still tree hugger <laughs> <laughs> i worked in a place the Chesapeake Bay Foundation for 4 years and we had waterless toilets that's fantastic they had everything in this building wow. was completely environmentally safe and mm-hmm. perfect and this
1: was in 2001 what's well, interesting that you said you described your work experience as being perfect and i think that is key i don't i, I don't think we're striving for perfection per se i think what we're trying to do here is say there's so many elements that you can take from and, and pull into your daily life, that we really have the opportunity to pick and choose. It's what I like to call everyday environmentalism, like what, how are you going to make a difference today? And it may be different than what you did yesterday, and you know what, I sit on that plane and I burn a bunch of fossil fuel to get to you to talk about environmental issues, and that's a contradiction in and of itself. Or I'm constantly cringing when they're handing me yet another plastic cup, and I'm begging them no more plastic cups, you know, but, but you do what you can, and I think that's the key. Like that we. We are reaching a crisis point when it comes to climate change, and I think what people need to really understand is the impl- the implications and the impacts of their actions. So, so what Sundance is doing, and I think what this general movement is doing, is really helping to bridge that divide between how we live today and and what kind of a future that we want to create for our children and even for ourselves. So by understanding the life cycles of products, by understanding how things are designed, by learning options on how we can eat differently or, you know, what municipal governments are doing to make their cities more environmentally friendly. I'm all over the map in what I'm describing to you, but that's because these issues, these concerns, and the way we can we can work towards solving these problems live everywhere. They live all across the map. So so I think it's really the idea of providing people with, with a lot of different types of information and a lot of different ways to interact with each other, to go off and enact change in their own lives, to share the information with other people, to be entertained, and to really, I mean, fundamentally be inspired. I don't think you can watch this programming and forget it. As you know, like we're changed by films that are that are made with quality and integrity and compelling storytelling and this programming embodies all of that. The best of what Sunhead Channel is 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 embedded in this programming and it doesn't leave you.
0: (laughs) I started talking about where you get your films and then I went off track.
1: (laughs) I probably went off track too. (laughs) So,
0: Where do you find your films for the programming? um,
1: The films I think are sourced from everywhere. I mean, think like some of these people are seasoned filmmakers, some of them you may not have seen before. Um, the details of how they've been procured, I don't know. I know there's a lot of excitement around the contest as well and really helping encourage people who may not even define themselves as filmmakers to really start to tell their stories. And I think that's another really exciting thing that Sundance has done, you know, with the whole cell phone filmmaking that they had a while ago. So I think we're looking at multiple outlets for where the stories are coming from and you know what what is also I think really interesting is that they're they're from different perspectives so we have a short film series about really environmental change agents in the world and what they're doing we have a segment called EcoBiz, which is all about business leaders and the way that business is really taking the lead in many instances, or certainly shaping what environmentalism looks like today. We have our, you know, the 13-part original series. We have the long-form documentaries that cover topics ranging from a quirky soap maker who's really putting environmental and social social justice principles into his company to a really provocative film about our food systems and where our food comes from. And I think, I think what's so exciting is you can't necessarily pin everything down to a single, like, oh, all the films are like this. You know, you watch Nova or Nature, and I can probably give you, a, like, a one-sentence description of what those films look like. These are really different, and I think that's, one of, again, one of the things that's exciting about the programming is the filmmaker's voice is very apparent, and these aren't your mother's nature movies (laughs) I think people are tired of seeing the
0: the clubbing of the baby seals Mm you know that's totally heart-wrenching to watch but I think you have to try to approach it from a different way I think we need
1: it to be in context in the context of our lives because Mm -hmm. look I feel for the polar bears too and I I, you know study these issues and know about them and report on them and I'm really sad that the glaciers are melting and Kilimanjaro and all this but what it, it doesn't hit me in my daily life and I think until people feel that this is embedded into what they do, you know, East Harlem, highest asthma rates in the country. You know, the air pollution quality inside an apartment in East Harlem is worse than the quality outside an apartment. That's an environmental issue. Hurricane Katrina and the disparity between you know what's going on with with people who have money and people who don't in that area around environmental justice. That's an environmental issue. E. coli ending up in our spinach and that becoming an issue of public health. That's an environmental issue. Of course, the the price of petroleum and the lack of you know awareness around like the the natural resources that we're plundering and the renewable resources that we really need to to start to explore in a, in a far more proactive manner. The war in Iraq. All these things tie in. On some level, to our relationship with the natural environment, and I think helping people make those connections is what this programming does in a way that watching the baby seals get clubbed doesn't. I know. Yeah, I feel for them. But I do. Just, yeah, absolutely. And it's an mm-hmm. abstraction for me because I don't live with seals. But then I they start
0: it. telling you, well, you wear leather, or so you mm-hmm. eat this or that. Absolutely. Right away, they just take it and
1: right. think, oh, I'm trying to do right. what I can. Right and I'm trying to live also. Exactly, and I'm trying to, I'll add to this, I'm trying to live well. Like I love my life, I love my home, I love my food, and I wanna embrace it, and I'm someone who, I was a vegetarian for a very long time, I went back to eating meat, I think that's a really great example. I think what, what we need to do, certainly the best option is to stop eating meat. In terms of our consumption and the amount of land used to raise cattle and raise chickens, that would be the optimal solution you're working for you know to try to do better and get to maybe to that point or not think about how your meat was raised think about were there pesticides in that how were the animals treated i mean i think there are many interim steps that people didn't recognize before it was very polarized like you were either in the club or you were out whereas now i think we recognize a continuum and we say we're just we're just trying to figure it out together and and we have some really creative ideas and really you know wonderful solutions on the horizon if we can just kind of work together and realize that every one of us has a role to play in this because we can't escape our ecosystem no matter how hard we try seals we can put out of our head but the environment that we live in and our relationship with our immediate environment won't go away do you think because of the film
0: inconvenient truth won the academy award that people are have become more aware have come on to the bandwagon sir
1: I don't I think the Oscar for an inconvenient truth is a great thing but I think that people have been have already started this trend you know Sundance was already well into their production and programming before the Oscar nod I do think Al Gore has been instrumental in bringing this issue of climate change to a much wider audience and really helping people to understand the relationship between climate change and their own actions and I think that's what was really missing before again melting you know ice caps that's I feel sad I'll write a check but what does that have to do with me okay well when you learn that one of the you know possibilities is that you know by 2010 like much of Manhattan can be underwater you live in New York City then you start to think about the, how this might affect me you know the challenge of science is that it is in its very nature imprecise I mean, we we try to test a hypothesis that's the scientific method people have been requiring exact information about what our future holds and that's impossible. We don't know what our relationships are going to look like. We don't know what our work will be 15 years from now. So to expect that we're going to know the exact changes in weather patterns I think is unrealistic, but I think what Al Gore has done is really presented in an extraordinarily compelling fashion in the film a picture of what could happen if we don't exercise the precautionary principle, and that coupled with greater awareness of peak oil, increased prices at the pump, and you know, for someone who I lived in you know major cities without a car for my entire adult life, so that one didn't hit me as strongly as you know, recognizing what's happening in Iraq, where are our, our oil interests, sort of looking at a bigger picture, and then taking it away from the politics, really trying to understand like what's happening to the air quality in, in my city or what's happening to my food supply or why are people not getting healthier even though we have greater technologies that can solve problems. What are the environmental issues that are resulting in higher rates of cancer or obesity or diabetes or asthma? So tying it back into something that I think is very relevant and personal for people is what Gore has been able to do and, and is sort of what's happening as we all these issues bubble up at the same time.
0: I think you're right about the scientific aspect of it because people sometimes can't imagine or interpret what these scientific findings could be, and I think for a filmmaker that's a challenge. I know it was for me, I was an art director for Chesapeake Bay Foundation, and one of my jobs was to interpret this information into a very compelling graphic image. And I think filmmakers now have this challenge, and I'm seeing some really great films. Uh, there was one Gimme Green that I saw at the Big Sky documentary film Festival, festivals about America's obsession with lawns. Ah, oh, yes. Great. And I went Great. through that because I knew somebody You'll who be hearing had this. me talk about it in the, in oh, the green as well. You no, know, no, <laughs> that was another thing. Certain areas, of, I knew all this stuff, and I would talk about it, and people would look at me, tree hugger. Yeah, exactly,
1: exactly. I think now it's so exciting that seeing is. The second green issue of Vanity Fair, and you know the green issue of Town and Country, and Time Magazine's 51 Ways to Save the Planet, and you know like media is realizing this—they're not—they're not putting this on the cover to be altruistic. Like they need to make a profit, and what they're seeing is people are interested in these issues. They're hungry for information, and they need people like you and me, and you know so many others, to really help break that information down because. You know, taking a look at the IPCC report, I'm just like, oh my gosh. Even, you know, I'm overwhelmed by this data, and and how do I make sense of it? And then how do I try to hopefully help others make sense of it? So we really need our filters, and we need to stay vigilant. But that's it, giving the
0: information and then giving um, a solution for it or options. Exactly. And that's what you're doing, yes. And that's what I'm seeing in the films. I'll go out and say, okay, well, how can and change. Right. How can it go for the better? And I'm seeing better films. Right. So I'm very excited about the channel and I'm, I'm excited about the Thank show. Thank you.
1: Thank you so, so. much. And I, you know, I've worked in media for such a long time and in this day and age, there's so many different places where our information is coming from and there's so much stimuli. Like I need something that's really going to draw me in and this programming draws me in. So. <laughs> I think it's pretty great. That is. That yeah. sounds wonderful. Yeah. So you're here to promote this. I'm here in New York. We are celebrating our New York premieres this evening. So we'll be celebrating the launch of the Green and then we'll travel back to Kansas and of course be back That's out. the heartland. That is the heartland. Yes. That is where the Oh, heart so you're goes. only here for one day. I got in last night and yeah. tomorrow morning. Yes. Oh, wow. Yes, yes, oh, yes. ABC down. carpets. We're going to have a celebration there, and ABC has, of course, done a great job of really trying to source things in a very socially just and environmentally friendly way. So um, I think it's going to be a really great space, and Rufus Wainwright's performing, and it's going to be it's gonna be terrific. <laughs>
0: so I look forward to meeting up with you again, Thank and you. we'll catch up. I'll Man. probably see you at some of the festivals. I hope so. Great. I hope so too. Because I've traveled all around. I'm sure there's a great one in Kansas City. Great.
1: There was, and I saw this amazing film called Asparagus, a documentary. <gasps> Green Gold. That movie. It's not. I don't know what Green Gold is.
0: They showed a rough cut at Docu Club. Mm-hmm. They called it Green Gold, a documentary.
1: Ah, it was all about asparagus. Yes
0: they changed the name then. Yeah. Good, because they told them to change the name. Oh, they said the they name just didn't, yeah. you know, make any sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Green gold. I would. But think this so. documentary I liked. Yeah, that was funny. It came out really well. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad to hear yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Turned out to be really an eye opener, and I look
1: where the food
0: is yeah. coming from.
1: Exactly, because then you, you can put a face to it. It's, yeah. It's really.
0: Well, I support the homegrown. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and it changes, I, I think, your one's whole relationship with. With how you eat and how you drive.
0: I'm what, glad it's wherever. out. Yeah. I'm glad yeah, it's yeah, out and yeah, around. Yeah, that's
1: terrific. I'm <laughs> oh, so glad I got to sit down and talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, you know, I think course. it's going to stop raining. <gasps> that it, would
1: be it's so true. It's slowing down. It's not as windy. Yeah. Good.
0: All right. Good. The kickoff party drew a huge crowd of filmmakers and environmentalists at, the, at ABC carpet. turned out to be an incredible layout of furniture and furnishings and styles and textiles and everything. So it was a perfect environment to hold this kind of a, a kickoff party. And I stood next to this area that contained uh, lichens and moss. And I found myself petting the moss until several people came up to me and brought that to my attention it reminded me of a moss story, really a part of a lawn story. It was a very sod story as well, which brings me to the Gen Art Film Festival that's going on until Tuesday, April 17th. This festival is a week-long curated festival. Presenting North American independent films by emerging directors. Uh, This is a great festival for first-time directors and new filmmakers because Gen Art promotes it so well. Uh, They do seven premieres, one per night. Uh, The evening screening tickets include an open bar after party, and these after parties are described as legendary uh, in and around New York's hottest and, as they say, hippest night spots. I don't know them very well because I don't look for them. but anyway, last night was no exception. I got over to the arena on 41st between 6th Avenue and Broadway. The full wall screen continuously played these beautiful underwater footage shots by the director Rob Stewart. Let's listen in what he has to say. We just finished a very interesting discussion after watching your film. I'm with Rob Stewart, who is the writer, director, producer of Shark Water. And I just found out about this film two days ago. And since April is my environmental month of the shows that I'm doing, I said, you know what? i got to take a look at this. And it blew me away. It really did. (laughs) Uh, Beautifully shot. Mm -hmm. That was my first impression. Yeah. So I knew you were an underwater photographer even before you said that in your first, yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: in your first sentence. But then the interesting part was you've always had this love for sharks.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, ever since I was a kid, I've loved sharks. They were just sort of, you know, the most amazing and beautiful animal that I knew of. As a as a kid who loved reptiles and snakes and lizards and dragons and dinosaurs, they were, you know, the greatest example of that that I knew of.
0: So you became a marine biologist?
2: I did, yeah. I went to. I tried to tailor my life around uh, sharks in the oceans. So I you know, became a scuba instructor and thought that I could spend part of my life teaching scuba around the world and then I became an underwater photographer and uh, that evolved into land and wildlife photography as well. So I would spend eight months of the year traveling the world and photographing animals. And uh, the movie all sort of got kicked off because I was on an assignment in the Galapagos Islands and I found uh, shark fishing, uh, illegal shark fishing and shark finning uh, in in an area that was supposed to be the most protected on the planet and it really opened my eyes to to what was happening in the oceans.
0: I'm one of those that didn't know very much about sharks so I'm one of those who was afraid of sharks because of the films and the media you hear about sharks attacking people and you're coming away, you're petting these sharks in the films and through, I mean, you had a motive to come across and, and putting them out as the most beautiful, even though they, they don't really look beautiful, but you made them look beautiful. What was your plan?
2: When I started making the film, I wanted to make a beautiful underwater movie that portrayed sharks in a more positive light and gave people the tools to make more effective decisions about whether they'd be afraid of sharks or not. It was supposed to be an underwater film, and uh, I wanted to do that because people were fighting for elephants and fighting for pandas and lions, but nobody cared or even knew that sharks were being wiped out. So I thought I needed to bring people into a closer relationship with sharks than they have ever been before so they could understand them. And throughout the making of the film, the you know, the journey changed so dramatically. I mean, we as you saw, we ended up, you know, getting charged with attempted murder in Costa Rica and having to film ourselves to keep ourselves out of prison. And, you know, eventually when I came back from the movie, we had very little underwater shark footage. We had this crazy human drama. The movie broadened in scope so much because it changed from a movie about saving sharks into a movie about saving sharks and saving the oceans so that we can save people fundamentally because we depend so much on the oceans and on ecosystems for our survival
0: i think you brought that point across really beautifully on how important they are in our own salvation Mm. i mean we have to save ourselves from ourselves
2: absolutely the um the thing is you know the oceans will be fine animals in the earth will be fine they've survived millions of years they've, sur- they've survived billions of years and major extinctions that wiped out 95% of the animals you know we're a species that have been here for a couple million years and it doesn't look like we'll be here for another million years so you know the question is not about saving animals like the people that want to save species and save the oceans and conservationists are you know the greatest protectors of humanity because we need to save these systems because they're what we depend on there's no life on earth without plankton there's no life on earth without plants you know like we exist because we can breathe oxygen which life has given us it's that totally different relationship with the natural world that I think is going to be the key to people surviving on the planet by seeing the oceans as you know not a toxic waste dump, but as a source for life and seeing trees not as decoration but as something that gives them oxygen it's that different relationship with the natural world that I think is the most important
0: did you develop this passion because you sound like and evangelist, <laughs> and you're almost on the verge of obsession, in a positive way, mm-hmm. reminding me of other filmmakers who have the same passion, Grizzly Man, mm. and he was eaten by a grizzly.
2: Yeah, I, I think um, it's a very different circumstance. F- people have brought up the comparison between Grizzly Man before, but the man in Grizzly Man was a drug addict who replaced bears with drugs, and everyone in the industry and everyone in his field thought he was crazy. And, you know, in fact, the movie that was portrayed about him, Grizzly Man, was a movie about how this man was on the brink of insanity. He was trying to
0: bond with the Grizzlies. You're not like that.
2: Well, no, No. when you see the movie, what, like, our movie is sort of based in facts. We don't say, you know, like, look, this shark loves me, that kind of thing. We demonstrate it by Sheer statistics. I mean, more people are killed by pop machines than by sharks. Elephants kill 200 people a year. Sharks kill five people a year. So the whole point of the movie is uh, is not to show, you know, look at the relationship you can have with sharks. It's to show, look at how much our irrational fear of sharks has blinded us to the fact that they're being wiped out. And shark populations around the world are down 90 percent, and nobody notices or cares because of that fear.
0: Not only that, you don't hear about that kind of. Overfishing, anyway, mm-hmm. in the media, until you see something like this. So, how are you going to get this word out to the public? I know you mentioned at the panel discussion you have a lot of plans, and you've gone to a lot of film festivals. How was the? Um, how were the audiences at these film festivals?
2: The response to the movie has been overwhelmingly positive. Um, we've, you know, we've won every film festival we've been in. I think we're the most award-winning documentary of the year. Uh, we just launched in Canada and broke all the box office records for documentaries and uh, people, all the rating systems, user reviews on the internet, are rating the film higher than every other feature that's out there now. So we're getting better ratings than 300 and better ratings than, you know, all of these big-budget Hollywood movies and we're beating big budget Hollywood movies at film festivals by winning People's Choice Awards and things, so I think it's a really good sign that people are responding so well to the movie, for one, because it's a it's an important film. It shows people what's happening with the ocean so that they could care enough or know that there's a problem to, uh, to affect change. And, uh, you know, we're launching the film in the United States in September and we expect a huge response from it here as well because you know, we launched in Canada and did exceptionally well but the United States actually has a relationship with sharks, like Florida, California, these people are in a daily interaction with sharks, and all of our screenings in these uh, states have been overwhelmingly positive. So we're really excited about launching here and in the rest of the world.
0: When I was at Toronto Film Festival, I found the Canadian film audiences to be very, very supportive. But I'm really looking forward to seeing it do well here in in the States. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it in other film festivals. But if it's going to be coming out, I don't know if you have an opportunity to still show them in places where massive amounts of people can see sneak previews and create a buzz? Is that something that you're thinking about? Yeah,
2: there's a buzz happening, or word-of-mouth screenings, that kind of thing, like little festivals, Burning Man festivals, outdoor screenings, that kind of thing. We're doing sort of up to the launch, and... um, We've got a great PR team and a great marketing team that uh, are working with the movie, so there's already a pretty good underground buzz and it's just sort of building that, developing that, and pushing that forward so that when the movie releases and we hits theaters, everyone is gonna be really excited to see it.
0: You're also going to the Jules
1: Verne
2: Yeah, we're at the Jules Verne Film Festival in Paris in three or four days. And uh, yeah, we just got back from the AFI Film Festival in Dallas. Uh, we won best HD feature there, and yeah, I think I think we're mostly we're maybe at the Seattle Film Festival. Uh, we haven't decided whether we're going to attend that one yet or not.
0: Oh, I think you should. That's a big one. Yeah. That's a very big one. I heard that there are more art house film theaters in Seattle than in New York. I don't know if that's true or not.
2: Yeah. But oh, wow.
0: that probably would be worthwhile.
2: Yeah, coastal communities really love the movie because. It's a totally different beast when you've actually lived in a relationship with the oceans. You see fish coming, you know, you see fishermen exploding the oceans, that kind of thing. People tend to respond so well to that movie when they're on the coasts. Like, we, you know, we won every award possible in Florida.
0: Well then you'll have to come to the Chesapeake Bay area.
2: Mm. The
0: Maryland yeah. Film Festival is in May. Yeah. and. Yeah. Uh, we were talked about very briefly, I was involved with the organization where we try to save the oysters, mm. which are now down to the two percent of what its historic yeah. population was, and mm. they 're so key to the to the bay 's health and to the environment yeah. and to in turn the people 's health
2: absolutely and what studies have shown now is that the removal of sharks has caused the, their prey populations to explode, which is smaller skates rays and smaller sharks, which feed primarily on shellfish, mollusks, and they've decimated fisheries off the east coasts of North America. The removal of sharks, because they've been on the planet for 400 million years, is going to have huge consequences, you know, far greater than the removal of, say, sea otters off the, east, off the west coast of North America. And, um, like you were commenting on shellfish, shellfish are one of the first vehicles for pollutants and toxins we put in the ocean to get into biomass. You know, the filter feeders, they're, you know, the toxins accumulate in these. So if we remove all of those, you know, it, the issue comes down to the fact that we can't possibly comprehend a few billion years of evolution, and we just we don't understand it. So to risk sacrificing these systems is just crazy.
0: All that information that you put out there, exactly what you're saying right now, I never knew. Mm-hmm. I think that I do care enough about the environment that I read about things and I do take action. Are you the new Jacques Cousteau? (laughs) Because he was the one that really brought it to the masses. Mm. I think that's yeah. But you're taking it through a different way.
2: Yeah. You're taking it through
0: the back door, uh, any way you can.
2: Yeah, uh, the the main thing is to affect change and to bring the issue to light. Because without awareness, there's going to be no change. And any way we can bring awareness, will. Will do. So it's um, I've sort of turned into someone that's ripping around countries in Canada and doing talks and talking to kids and trying to make conservation cool and bring it to the public. So if you know if it if it takes me talking about it or whatever, then we'll go that route.
0: And your new reality TV show. Yeah. In production?
2: Yeah, we've got a few things in production and it's trying to use mainstream media to bring issues to light so we can effectively suck people in with conservation or suck people in with sex and skin and reality and then hit them with conservation when they're least suspected. I think it's cool. Yeah, well it's, there's nothing cooler than making the world a better place and supporting human life on Earth. So I think, uh, I think the shift towards that becoming cool is going to be quite fast.
0: Are you going to make another shark movie?
2: yeah absolutely i'll make more shark movies the next one isn't uh isn't about sharks but i will definitely make more shark movies
0: i have a lot of things that i go see mm-hmm. uh, with film festivals but i saw gen art film festival and i got the email i said let me go check this one out because i did go to your website yeah was it www.sharkwater.com yeah okay so i went there i saw the trailer mm-hmm. i was hooked
2: yeah yeah it's a the thing about Sharkwater is, it's a totally different kind of movie. Like, it's people have a tough time describing it because it's not quite a documentary. Like, it is a documentary because it's all real, but there's a story that you could never write. Like, it, the truth is far crazier than fiction in this film. And you almost died. Yeah, so many times. The movie, I know, but
0: that was very dangerous with the uh, the flesh eating.
2: Yeah, flesh eating disease, disease and, and mafia and rings and governments shooting at and us and yeah, it turned into a crazy drama.
0: But here you are, you're living to tell the tale.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it must, be, must have happened for a reason. Yep, <laughs> yeah, all right. Absolutely.
0: Well, thank you so much, and uh, you're getting ready for the next screening, and you're going to be here until tomorrow, mm-hmm. and then you're off. And
2: Yeah, off traveling again.
0: I believe, I really believe that you will do it, and we can save the shark.
2: Amazing, thank you, uh, me too.
0: All right, thanks. Great. Okay, there you have it! This is the kind of story that makes me want to change what is going on. With this and all of the rest of the stuff going on as film festivals continue to gear up and I look at what I can do and I'm going to have an eco-happening page on my website at www.filmfestivalreviews.com. In the meantime, what I can say is that my car that I will semi-retire next month is turning 14 years old. Yep, little Susie, a red-hot 1993 Honda Del Sol just turned 250,000 miles and still get 35 miles to the gallon. She has a couple of dents and scratches, and was stolen a year ago. It was just miraculous that she wasn't chopped up for parts, yet her engine is still going strong, and I'll keep her around as long as I can. So, until next time, thanks for listening.